Well, it's good to be back here with you all again. I think I was last year, and uh, I'm glad to uh, once again. Now, I don't need to do anything with this uh, other than this is, um, I, th- I hope it's on. <laughs> I don't know how this thing works, but we'll figure it out. It's all, is it already on? If I switched it on, how do you switch it on? On the side? Is it on? I push the button. You see a green light? How do you turn that on, brother? Oh, on that side? Is it on? Do I aim it at this or there? Over there. Okay, let's just try once. No. Well, you ain't got to feel bad, brother. <coughs> I make a motion that on the uh, next board meeting y'all have, might want to update the electronics. Just slightly. That's all. I'm just suggesting, by the way. That's the one thing about technology. It's going so fast. You can get the latest one year, and by the next year, it's antiquated. It's unbelievable. Terrible. Try it now. There we go. Thank you, brother. All right. Well, it's good to be here. Once again, as I said, I appreciate the opportunity to come to speak. We are living in some challenging times, brothers and sisters. And if y'all haven't figured that out by the, with, by the time we had COVID a year and a half ago till now, almost two years now, we are really in a tailspin of a crisis. Uh, and if you think it's going to end, you're living in a delusion. I'm going to explain some things. Let's pray, shall we? Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come together. And to worship you on your holy Sabbath day. And it's a privilege, dear God, a privilege to come to assemble with God's people. You said that we should not forsake the assembling of one another. And that we should come and praise your holy name when we assemble. So please bless us and help us this day. Help me, dear God, I pray, to lift up Jesus and speak forth the truth. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You got your Bibles, let's look here, Revelation chapter 13, Revelation 13, I want you to look here with me, Revelation 13, we're going to look here starting with verse 11, Revelation 13, verse 11, now in chapter 13, again I'm going to take some liberties and I'm going to assume you know some things, I mean I happen to be in a Seventh-day Adventist church and I'd like to think y'all understand at least to some extent Revelation 13, so, uh, but Revelation 13 has two beasts. Described very clearly, these are the two dominant powers that will play the key roles at the end of time. No question about it. Bible is emphatic about that. Um, the first beast, of course, being the papacy. But remember, when we're talking about the identity of the of these powers, particularly the first one, remember the Antichrist is a system that that is operating. It's a system that is operating. And by the way, this system did not begin with the Vatican. This system began with Satan. It's the system of rebellion. It's a system that is antithetical to everything that God stands for and God himself. You know, we talk about in Sabbath school lesson, the names of God. Why is there so many names used to describe one being, you know, this, this, this eternal being, God? Why? One, uh, uh, multiple names is because, dear friends, there is no one name that's sufficient to describe God. You see, you don't need multiple names. You're identified by one name, your first name, and, of course, your surname also, you know, that that clan, you know, that group of people. But really, you're identified by your first name, and that's sufficient because we're finite. God is infinite. There's no way you can put God in a box and examine him. That's impossible. And it's, to me, downright sacrilegious and blasphemous to those who sit there and try 
to analyze the Godhead as if they seem to think that God is beneath them to the point where, where, where uh, they can uh, define who God is and what he is not. What is man that man thinks he is superior to the almighty God? How dare we? How dare we as human beings suggest that we can break God down as if God is, as I say, beneath us? No, dear friends, you see, Job, Job, God bless him, what a righteous man, a godly man. And you want to talk about a mistake this man made. Here's a mistake he made. He began to question the sovereignty of the God Almighty in his dealings with mankind, particularly in himself. And then the Lord said to him, Job, Job, where were you when I put the stars into the heavens? Where were you when I created the world? Job, where were you? Now, you know what God was telling him. Job, the creature doesn't question the creator. You are a creature that I created. How dare you sit in judgment of me as if you seem to think you're wiser than me. And that's why he said, if you're so smart, you're so wise, you're so intelligent, why didn't you put the stars into the heavens? Why didn't you create the planets in the world? That's why he said, where were you? And that's why God blessed Job. Now see, this is where Job, this is where true saint, he put his hand on his mouth and said, whoops, I spoke once too much. He was smart enough to know he had gone too far. But some people just, they're not that smart. They just keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And uh, friends, let me tell you something. The Bible makes it clear what is to take place in these final uh, days of earth's history. And the first beast, the first beast is, is no doubt the, the Catholic Church. It is, again, we're emphasizing here the system Good, God-fearing Catholics, many of them in the church, no doubt, no doubt in my mind. And they will come out when they hear the three angels' message. They'll they'll come out. There are sincere, honest, good-hearted people in every faith in this world, even pagan religions, the heathenized pagan religions, whether they be in Africa or in Asia or wherever they may be in this world. Even downright, there are people who worship Lucifer, Luciferians. But when the trumpet gives a certain sound and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is brought forth and the three angels' message go forth, I'm telling you, they're going to come from everywhere. The question is, dear friends, whether we, whether we will still be around. Because sadly to say, many are going to fall by the wayside. Jesus said, many I have that are not of this fold, but they will come. And God help us to be faithful and true to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are living in challenging times. I've been telling people, I've been preaching and emphasizing and telling them. And I think I even told you the last time I was here. I hope you have your eyes open to what's really going on. What this whole COVID thing is all about. If you guys can't see that, I really feel sorry for you. I really feel sorry for you. All you got to do is do research. Just research. But don't use Google. I'm not kidding you. They are whitewashing anything and everything regarding any issue that contradicts the main story that they want to push. I'm telling you, all you got to do is search. I, I take one search engine, Google, punch up um, the dangers of the mRNA vaccines. Just punch that up. Then take DuckDuck web uh, 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 um, a search engine, and then punch up the same thing, and watch the difference. One censors, the other doesn't. All you've got to do is search. See, look, let me put it this way. <clears throat> you know, people often talk about Bible translations, how, which ones we should use, which ones we shouldn't, right, and so forth. Right? There's, and I'm not going to get into an argument here, so please. But does it matter which Bible you use? In other words, if you have a Bible, let's say, that 
let's say, I'm just hypothetical. Let's say that, that you have a Bible that takes out 50% of the scriptures and then replaces it with fictitious words, just things that just make no sense or just paganized ideology and put it back in there. Does that make a difference regarding how you can find truth? Okay, so you've got to understand that Google is not going to allow you to find the truth. It doesn't want you to find the truth. Uh, so use DuckDuck or other search engines, Tor as a browser. You've got to go basically what you call offline. You've got to, I know that sounds crazy, but I'm telling you. And then punch up the same thing, dangers of M. Uh, RNA vaccines. Do it with Google, then do it with DuckDuck, and you see two different types of researchers. Two, two different things. So it accesses. One doesn't do censorship, the other does. Look, all I'm trying to tell you is, dear friends, look, you, Sister White says several times, not once, not twice, but several times, that the Sunday movement, please hear me now, that the Sunday movement operates in secrecy. Have you ever read that before? Don't know if you've done enough, right? It, it, it's moving in secrecy. Now, you've got to ask yourself, if something's got to be done in secret, it's because you don't want anybody to know. You don't want anybody to know what's going on. You don't want people to be aware of the facts. For if it is ever exposed for what it really is, you know what people will do is say, no, we don't want that. You see? And uh, this is why, by the way, they got Dr. Uh, Fauci, you know, the habitual liar. Yeah. You know, the man that goes out and he's a propagandist. Yeah. Why do you think they have him out there always? He's selling a lie. You understand what his business is? And by the way, you want to do a little research on that man? Don't use Google. Go to DuckDuck or, or some other search, right? Listen, I'm, I'm being very honest with you. Do you know that he has financial interests in the vaccines? Boom. Now you know why he wants you to get it. Right. Having said that, now listen very carefully. Look at Revelation 13, 11. Look at this now. This is the second beast. Now this beast is the United States of America. Now listen very carefully. We're told in the spirit of prophecy, and the Bible makes it clear here, and I'll show you. America leads out, and all the world follows. And all you have to do is look at what happened at COVID. America led out, and everybody just kind of got in line. Okay, America, we're following you. All you got to do is watch. Just this last crisis, we're, and we're, of course, still in it. No, they want us to still remain in it. But, I, you know, I tell you, uh, mm, I could go, uh, oh, there's many things. I've been asking God to, you know, please keep me down. And, uh, but... Uh, we know what the sad tragedy is. So many people can't see it. That's what scares me. That's what really scares me. Now, look at verse 11. I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb. And look at that last phrase. And he spake as it what? Oh, now listen to me. We know that that comes, generally speaking, through two ways. Because remember, we are a federalist system of government broken up into three branches. You understand what I'm asking? Federalism. That's the decentralizing concept of government. All right, we have the we have the, uh, the 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 presidency, right? That's one branch, the president. Then you have the the judiciary and the Congress. Congress is broken up into two branches. You have the senators and Congress itself. So you have those three branches of government, right? And Congress alone, if you look at the at the Constitution, it alone is given the prerogative to legislate, right? Not the president, although that's what we've been seeing for decades, right? through executive orders. You've been seeing, notice how Trump did it before him, Obama did it. Before, by the way, all, all eight years of Obama, you know he rarely got anything passed. Everything was done through executive orders. And the same thing with Trump for four years. Now we got Biden doing the same thing. Nothing getting passed. Everything's just simply but through executive orders. In other words, what's happened is we've got the president, one branch of government, actually overstepping its boundaries, entered into the legislative branch, and now is making law. It's a violation of the Constitution. They should have all been impeached. And frankly, they should, should have gone even further than that. But having said that, let me say this to you. You've got to understand how the Constitution works and what the Bible is talking about. When it says it speaks as a dragon, it will be done through two ways. Through one, it's legislative means. 
by enacting laws that are contrary to the foundations of the United States of America, the republic that made us what we are. And then the second thing is through the judiciary. In other words, when you look at the United States of America, when you look at the government of the United States of America and its policies in regard to that, you've got to realize the, the development and the rise of the United States of America. And so what you're looking at are, are things we often 1776, the Declaration of Independence, right? And then comes the Constitution, Right of 1789, and then you've got 17. Well, the Constitutional Convention is 1787, 88, and then 89. George Washington is elected president, and then 1791. You have, of course, the Declaration. Excuse me, the Bill of Rights were then implemented. Right, so they were put into into the Constitution at that point, 1791. So there's a there's a development, okay. And what you're seeing here, when it says he speaks as a dragon, is that the very documents that I just mentioned will be repudiated. One, through legislative means, Congress will enact laws that are contrary to the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And then the second way is through the judiciary. Now, what do I mean when I'm saying that? I'm talking about the judges. You go to court and you say, well, the Constitution says this, but here's the thing. You've got to understand what's happened. So the judges come up and say, but <clears throat> since I'm the judge, I interpret the law. So I'm going to interpret it this way. Now, imagine you going to a dealership and you want to get a car. And you have a contract, right? There's a contract. You pull out this contract. You, boy, you ever know, you see all that little fine, tiny little print? You need a magnifying glass to get a magnifying glass in order to see what, the, what, what's in that little tiny print. Now, listen to me. So suppose you signed that contract. And by the way, there was a clause in there that says, but it's left to the dealership to interpret the final uh, uh, price. In other words, you, you agreed to pay $35,000 for your car, but the contract says that's what you assumed you're going to pay. The, in the final analysis, the contract bequeaths to the owner, meaning at this point the dealership, because he now technically still owns that car, he will decide the actual cost. But it says $35,000, but you don't understand. You agreed that he would have the final say. You signed the contract. Now, if you knew that in advance, would you sign it? Can you imagine? You, oh, I, got a, I just bought a brand new $35,000. Oh, it's a nice, clean clothes. Nice. Oh, no, no, Mr. 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 Johnson, I'm sorry. That's $135,000. What? Oh, yeah, you left me the prerogative to actually finalize the final sale. You see, this is what happened to us. Uh, in, in many, many, many years ago, I don't have time to get into the history of the Marshall-Madison case um, with Chief Justice John Marshall where they decided that the courts would be the final arbiter of what the Constitution says. And once that happened, once that happened, what you've got to understand what was created, an oligarchy. So now you've got men in robes who have the final say to determine for the nation as a whole what is constitutional and what is not constitutional. But that's not what our founding fathers believed. At least some of them, like Jefferson and others. They said, no, that's insane. We're going to leave it up to a few men to determine what constitutes law? So we, we ran into some serious problems with the judiciary. And ever since, by the way, that was 1804, we've had that problem. And ever since then, we've, we've been in a mess up to our necks. And the Bible says that America will speak as a dragon. And America has been speaking a dragon slowly, little by little, over time. All right? And uh, the problem is that today in society, most people don't study American history. And even in the school systems, forget about them teaching it. Most people don't even, you ask the kid, who's George Washington? What's the American Revolution? What was it fought about? What happened during World War II? You know, I mean, it goes down the list. You can, you can, they don't know. Look, ask yourself this. Why would a tyrant want the citizenry ignorant? It keeps them in power. As long as you're ignoramuses, you'll do what I tell you to do. That's what a tyrant thinks. You understand? A tyrant says, well... An ignorant society is good for me. But if you're a freedom-loving 
say, king, I just use, you know, or, or president, or what. You love freedom. You love God. You love. I don't want a bunch of ignoramuses. That's bad. That's bad for society. It's bad for the country. You know, you think it's healthy to have a church filled with people who don't know the Bible? You think that's good? No, that's not good. That's why you got problems in the church sometimes because people just don't know what they're talking about regarding the nature of the book they, they carry with them. Amen. They don't. Listen, you may read it, but do you understand what you're reading? Amen. And then it's been said in Sabbath school today, do you obey what you read? Amen. Amen. Let me show you something here. Let's, let's see if we can't get this thing up and run it. All right, here we go. Now, this is based on, this is a, very important. Now, now look, you know where I, I've said to you before about the spirit of prophecy. I'm going to say it again for clarification. Particularly, maybe there may be someone here who wasn't here last time. Listen very carefully. Spirit of prophecy is not an opinion, not a suggestion, not a recommendation. It's not a good idea. It's a divine revelation from the third person of the Godhead given to a person by the name of Ellen G. White, who in turn penned down the very things that she was revealed to her, was revealed to her, to the church, then we are in return to give it to the world. You understand the responsibility and the role and function? So what I'm reading to you is not a suggestion, not an opinion, not a recommendation, it's not a good idea. You understand? It's not a consensus. It's a divine revelation from the third person of the Godhead to the church. All right? So we, as long as we stand there, and, and that's the same what happened with the Bible. Holy men of God spake as they were what? Moved by the Holy Spirit. Amen. So speaking of Revelation 13, verses 11 to 17, which is the United States of America, one nation and only one meets the specifications of this prophecy. It points unmistakably to the United States of America. And he had two horns like a lamb. And he says, the lamb-like horns indicate youth, innocence, and gentleness, fitly representing the character of the United States when, when presented to the prophet as coming up in 1798. Now this is very interesting, that date, because you would think, well, what happened to 1776? Right? I thought we came up in 1776. But it says around 1798. Now, I want you to think about that. Now, again, I'm going to go back a little bit in chronology. All right, now listen very carefully. In 1776, the 13 colonies declared their independence and wrote it out in a document known as the Declaration of Independence. By the way, just as a footnote for some of you, I would highly recommend you go back and read Jefferson's original draft, not the finalized version that we are given. All right? Do you understand? Uh, because Jefferson was, was given the responsibility to write the document. They said, they said Jeff, Thomas, you write the document, bring it back to us. And then there was a committee that then read that and then made recommendations of what needs to be taken out, what needs to be put in. Then that committee, once it finalized it, went to another committee, and it was known as the Style Committee, and then they made revisions. And it went, it basically, look, it's like laundry. It got dirty, it got washed and washed and washed and washed and washed until the end. It's nothing like the original document. All right, now the fundamental principles are still there, but I, I want you to go back and read Jefferson's original draft. All right? Because what most people are unaware of, that in the <coughs> Declaration of Independence, when it says all men are created equal, right? It's all men are created. There are the, today, and this is the sad tragedy, there are the people who suggest, and these are, quote, historians, the academics, you know, the intellectuals, right? They're the ones who say, well, when Jefferson wrote that all men are created equal, he only meant white men, and he only meant free white men. But see... <coughs> If you read Jefferson's original draft, this is the draft he submitted to the committee. Do you understand? Look, if I'm a teacher and I say to you, I, you need to do a paper for me, and I want you to hand it in. It's got to be 1,500, uh, uh, 1500 words, and I want a paper on Abraham Lincoln. That means when you hand that document in to me, right, that's your final, that's your draft, that's yours, right? Well, suppose I took your draft and then rewrote it and then said, well, this is what you said. You say, whoa, 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 hold up here. I mean, I said some of those things, but I didn't say everything, and you're making me out to be something I'm not. You've, 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 you've rewritten my document. Now, go back into Jefferson's original draft, and you know what you'll find? When he said all men are created equal, he began to talk about the concept of freedom and, 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 and the inalienable rights of mankind. 
And then at the end, what did he, he declared his independent, their independence. And then they said, we're going to give you the following reasons as to why we are declaring our independence. And there are dozens of, of, of um, itemized uh, lists of things that he gives regarding the nature of why they declared their independence. And you know what one of them was? And if you go carefully, and by the way, it's the largest section of the, of the document. And it was all about slavery. Did you know that Jefferson condemned slavery? In the original draft, not only did he condemn it, but by the act of what he was declaring, he was abolishing it. In other words, in the Declaration of Independence, he was declaring not only was sin a, a, a slavery a sin, but we want to get rid of it. And what's interesting in there, when he talks about the slaves, he, he, he writes the word men, but he puts it all in capital letters. M-E-N, men. Now, why did Jefferson, referring to slaves, Capitalize the word men. Because early on in the document, when he said all men are created equal, the, the actual emphasis he was making was all men are created equal, all mankind, especially slaves. And why did Jefferson equate slavery with the American Revolution? Because King George III was enacting um, legislation and parliament as well against the colonists that they believed was a restriction of their freedoms and therefore enslaved them. And just as King George enslaved them, he was enslaving black people. And so Jefferson was fighting for freedom of, for everybody black, white, not just political, but social. But if you go through the revised version, the, la the uh, guess what? That's taken out. Now, why was it taken out? Do some research and you'll find out why it was taken out. Because all you got to do is they say, follow the money. Slavery's big business. And by the way, if you think slavery's done, has been done away with since 1865... Again, you're living in another world. You are completely living in a world, I don't know what world you're living in, but it's not earth. Listen, slavery has been around for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And there's still slavery all over this world. All over this world. Slavery. Now, it has many forms and, fa and, fa and, and uh, facets to it, no question. But slavery's not been done away with. Amen. And it won't be done away with till Jesus comes. Amen. So you've got to wake up to the reality. Um, early writings, by the way, you want an interesting statement on slavery? In early writings, Sister White talks about the return of Jesus as it's coming to its end. As it's coming, right? Jesus is coming. And the loud cry goes out, and, and, and the latter rain falls, and, and, and finally what happens, she says, people are starting to break away from their churches, because the pastors and people say, no, 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 don't, don't, don't go, don't go, these people are lying. And they finally break away, so no, I'm, gonna, I'm following this message, this is the truth. Yes. And she says, they break away, she then talks about, even slaves have now enough courage to break away from their masters. Yes. You're going to see slaves say, you know what, kill me. If that's what you want to do, kill me. I'm accepting Jesus. I'm going to embrace the three angels' message. I'm following this Advent truth. Yes. Amen. And uh, so a very fascinating statement. And so Sister White talks about coming up in 1798. 1776, the Declaration of Independence. Then, as I told you, in 1789, of course, 80, I mean... 8788 is the convention and then Declaration of Independence. George Washington is elected president in 1789. Then you have in 1791, what do you have? You have the, the Bill of Rights that were uh, passed in Congress and that became law. So now notice the date, 1791. So the Bill of Rights is now in 1798, not 1776, 1791. Well, what about 1798? Very interesting. What was happening then? John Adams is president of the United States. He's second president. Who's this vice president? Thomas Jefferson. What was happening in 1798? Well, you had the French Revolution taking place, didn't you? Y'all remember that? French Revolution? Yeah. All right, now listen to me. What was going on? 
you had, a, you had a struggle going on between France and England because there was a struggle, a European conflict going on. It had been for decades, actually generations, centuries of time. But the point is, recently there was a conflict and those two were battling. The United States of America needed to decide which side they were going to choose. And under George Washington's administration, they chose to go with the British. Where Jefferson and Madison and others said, no, wait a minute, man, we can't forsake the French. They just helped us win our independence, and we're going to choose the British over, over the French when the British were our tyrants. But some were saying, look, this is for expediency's sake. We've got to realize this is about economics. We're practical, you know, we've got to be practical here. And Jefferson said, I'm all for being practical, but we also have an obligation. You know, when somebody sets you free from the master that you, you know has been a tyrant, and then there's a conflict between the tyrant who's, who enslaved you and the one who set you free, and you choose the, ma- the slave master over the one who set you free, you got a problem. I don't care. You know, you want to talk about economics all you want, but there's also ethics, morality. Having said that, from that point forward, there was a struggle. The French Revolution is going on. John Adams enacted the Alien and Sedition Acts. Now, what that meant was simply this. Because the foreigners were coming in, or he perceived enemies of the state, he said, from this day forward, we're going we're to tag these people. And not only that, he said, we're going to consider any publication that speaks out against the government an act of sedition. Treason. And he had... Editors of newspapers arrested. He had former congressmen, congressmen himself, arrested, thrown into prison. This is John Adams. This is the second president of the United States of America. Already America's speaking as a dragon. Thomas Jefferson, God bless Tommy, boy, because here's what Thomas did. Thomas Jefferson stood up and said, I will not sanction this. And he left Philadelphia. Remember, because remember, this is the early part. Uh, uh, the struggle for independence. Capital was first in New York, then Philadelphia, then it moved over to D.C., or its present location, Washington, D.C. So, so Jefferson went back home to Monte, Monte, Monticello, and he went there, and he wrote up a draft with he and Madison, known as the Virginia-Kentucky Resolutions. All right? That was in 1799 and, and 1800. Now listen very carefully. In these two documents, in these two documents, They, in essence, say this, that whenever the federal government acts laws that are contrary to the Constitution or the Bill of Rights, the states have the right to nullify that law, not the judiciary. You all with me? They said, Jefferson and Madison said, the states have the prerogative to say, well, when the government enacts an unconstitutional law, we as a state nullify that law. It will not apply here. Let me explain something to you. The governor of Florida, God bless that man. I wish he was my governor, but I live in the People's Republic of Maryland. And uh, you can only imagine how bad it is. At least you got a Republican, well, a Republican governor. Um, Let me say this to you. What people don't realize is this. That governor, you know what he did when the COVID whole thing? You know what? He nullified federal law. He said, no, not going to apply it here. Mm-mm, mm-mm, not going to happen. We're not going to let that go in here. So what, what, what was he doing? He was enacting the doctrine espoused by Jefferson and Madison, the doctrine of nullification. There were other governors who did it of South Dakota. She did it. Governor, I forgot her last name now. Forgive me. But she did it. And there's others who did it. And there are counties um, who said, mm, not going to happen. The county commissioners just simply got together and said, we're just not going to let it go. And, uh, you know, because they wanted every, you know, the bureaucrats decided which businesses could stay open and which could close. And if you look very carefully, follow the money. Why do you think Amazon, uh, Google, uh, Facebook, um, Walmart and Target and Co- uh, uh, Costco. Why do you think they've been making tens of billions of dollars during this COVID crisis? And middle class America has plummeted to no man's land. Why? The mom and pop businesses, most, a lot of them are closed. By the thousands across the country are closing up. Think, think, come on. All you got to do is common sense. It's transference of wealth. Yes. Look, let's say you and I are in business. 
right? We're in business, competition, I should say. We're in, we both own business, but we're in competition. But I've got the power to shut you down. Now, who does that the advantage go to? goes to me. And from an economic standpoint, it's, I want him to go out of business. He's competition. As long as there's competition, that means, you see, let's say we're selling the same product. He lowers his price $10 cheaper than mine. Well, that's competition, man. That's capitalism. That's what it's all about. So what happens? I got to either keep up or make a better product than him and justify the $10 difference, right? This is our, which is okay, as long as I can justify it in the consumer's mind. Now look, if you can literally take billions and billions and billions of dollars generated by mom and pop, Mr. and Mrs. USA, working hard in their little stores, wherever it may be, and then simply take that tens and tens of billions of dollars and transfer it over to the corporations, you don't think they're going to do that? That's, what, that's one of the reasons why they've, they've been pushing this thing. You've got to understand. Look at the money. Follow the pharmaceutical companies. Look at the money. All you've got to do is look at it, boys and girls. It's not difficult. Take the blinders off your eyes. Detach how you feel regarding the nature of the things that are taking place. And look around you. It was planned years Ago, Not a year ago. It was planned years ago. There are speeches by Fauci back in 2012 talking about COVID. How did he know? How could he have known? Boys and girls, 1798, America came up around that time. And the Alien and Sedition Acts, the Virginia and Kentucky Resolutions, were Jefferson and Madison and others who said the states have the prerogative to nullify unconstitutional laws by the federal government. But then in 1804, as I told you, remember the Madison and the Marshall-Madison decision? What happened? Actually, 1803, excuse me. In 1803, what happened? This was Thomas Jefferson, now the President of the United States. A conflict came between the federal government and the state. And Chief Justice Marshall, who was an anti-Jeffersonian in his philosophy, he was more of a Hamiltonian. Sorry, but I don't have time to explain all that. He believed in centralized government of authority, more, more power to the centralized government. And Jefferson wanted decentralized government. And so he made the decision that the Supreme Court is now the final arbiter between the states and the federal government. Not the states. By the way, and I don't mean to get any into anything, but I'm just trying to help you understand American history. In 1861, when the southern states rose up, one of the issues they rose up over was over this final issue. Where does the final arbiter, or who does the, is the final arbiter on unconstitutional law? Is it the state, or is it the Supreme Court? Now, they were wrong on the position of, 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 of um, in terms of the moral position of slavery, right? I mean, come on, I mean, common sense will tell you that, right? But there were, they were correct on the issue of, being, of the final arbiter. They believed it was the right of the states to determine the final outcome of the unconstitutional federal laws. Lincoln and the rest of his boys said no. And they said, okay, well, we'll fight this out then. And ever since 1865, the issue of State sovereignty regarding the nature of nullification over federal laws that are unconstitutional has been dead. And what we've been fighting over ever since is, is the spirit, not the legality. That's all been dead and done with. All right, you understand? Right now, here's the difference. I'm going to explain the difference between Hamiltonianism and Jeffersonianism in the heart of a, a mankind. Listen to me right now. A tyrant, a tyrant is one who wants to centralize power. You understand? It, to his advantage, right? I don't want you to have power. And so one of the ways he does that is through legislative means, by corrupting the judges, by buying out the politicians, by controlling the military. And one of the things he's got to do is make sure to get the guns away from the people. He's got to get guns out of the hands of the people, right? 
And so a tyrant wants to centralize the, the, his authority, where a person who loves freedom wants to decentralize it. You understand? Don't centralize the authority. Imagine if your pastor had all the authority to decide who was going to be elected, who was going to do what, when and where and how, and, I mean, con completely control your church in every function and, 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 and way. I mean, that, that's crazy. You want to decentralize. That's why Jesus said, ye are all brethren. That's why he condemned those who want to sit in the seat of Moses. No, you want to sit up there because you want to be the big head honcho, Jesus. Was, they said, no. He said, you're all brethren. And when we start to realize that, we'll understand the significance of what's taking place. What's been happening in the United States of America recently, since Trump been elected? And by the way, again, uh, you know, I'm getting tired of, he's going to save America. He can't save America. Amen. Listen to me. Don't put your faith in politicians or a political party. Amen. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to tell you this, dear friends. No political party is going to save this country. Here's this. Hey, listen, all you got to do is study the rise and fall of nations. You ever done just a little survey of the history of the rise and fall of nations? Why does a nation rise up and become powerful and great? And then why does a nation fall? Well, you got to look at the attributes, the characteristics, what made them great, what made them fall. And I'm going to tell you this right now, dear friends, America's great days are gone. Gone, gone. They're over. All right? What you're witnessing, you've got to realize what you're watching with your own eyes and you're living in it is the death of the United States of America. You know, there was a man by the name of Augustine, Bishop of Hippo, who wrote a book called The City of God. Okay? And uh, it was written at the time when Alaric and the, and the Germanic tribes came out of the north and, and, and surged down on Rome and, and, and destroyed the Roman Empire. And in the, it's called the City of God. And what Augustine wrote was basically uh, a, a commentary of, of, of the events. He was right. What was happening? And he lamented greatly. He lamented the tragedy of the, of the destruction of the old Roman Empire. <clears throat> but as he was writing, very few people would heed what he was saying. Sadly to say, that's, that's what's happening today. Very few people are heeding what's being said or paying attention. She says, among the Christian exiles who first fled to America and sought an asylum from the royal oppression and priestly intolerance were many who were determined to establish a government upon the broad foundation of civil and religious liberty. By the way, who are these people? They're the Puritans, right? Became the, they, they, they were the pilgrims. They were known as nonconformists or the dissenters. They're also known as the Brownists followed after a man by the name of Browning. He was a pastor, but he was a staunch separatist. They were followers of him. He says, their views found place in the Declaration of Independence. Notice, their views of religious and civil freedoms found where? In the Declaration of Independence. Let me tell you something right now. The Declaration of Independence is a Protestant document. The American Revolution is a continuation of the Protestant Reformation. This nation, the United States of America, was founded on Protestant principles. Now, we were never established as a theocracy, a theocratic form of government. We, that's not what we were founded as. But we were established as a Protestant republic. And there's a difference between a theocracy and a Protestant republic. It means the institutions that are established in the, in the, in this, in the nation, meaning the form of government, the educational system, etc., are Protestant in nature, meaning they respect and understand the rights of liberty and freedom. You understand? It's built on that foundation. She says, their views are found placed in a Declaration of Independence, which sets forth the great truth that all men are created equal and endowed with the inalienable right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And by the way, go to the original draft. Jefferson says it was not only the inalienable right, but it was a sacred right. That's very, that was taken out, by the way. And the reason the word sacred, sacred is a religious word. It means God, sacred. So they took that out. But again, go back and read the original draft. It's mind-blowing what Jefferson actually said. Uh, in pursuit of happiness. He says, and the Constitution guarantees 
to the people the right of self-government. And that's republicanism. That's also known as federalism, decentralizing concept. I govern myself. You don't tell me how to govern myself. That's why I oppose COVID. The government is telling you how to live your life. You, beque- you said, okay, government, tell me, how, tell me how to live. Tell me how to live. Tell me what to do. You, you just gave up your God-given rights. Look, let me tell you something right now. People say that I've had people say, oh, Brother Ray, it's a little, that's going too far. Maybe a little too extreme here. I'm going to tell you something. Hang on. I'm going to give you biblical examples. And I'm going to give you two of them. I can give you more, but I'm going to give you two. All right. And we've been talking about these examples for decades, years. We've been preaching it time and everybody, "Mm, amen, yes, amen, mm -hmm, amen. (laughs) And now it comes and everybody, you got people, you know, like a deer in their headlight. Boom. They don't know what to do. (laughs) Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, a golden image is set up. you got three boys, Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah. Right? They say, Nebuchadnezzar says, we want you to worship. And he tells everybody, you're all going to worship, and you're going to worship and bow down to this image. Now, these three boys say, no, we're not going to do that. Now, they were respectful, but they were firm and determined. And they said, no, we're not going to do that. You're not going to tell me how to worship God Almighty. Now, notice, this had... This was not on what day to worship the image. Please listen to me. This wasn't about when. This was about how. I'm going to share share something with you. Most people do not see this. All right, listen to me. This was not about when to worship the golden image. This was how you are going to worship. You're going to get on your knees, and you're going to bow down to that image. How? Not when. How? So he didn't say on Sunday... You're going to come and worship this image. That's not what he says. Now listen, that's Daniel 3. Daniel 6. You got Daniel, right? In the lion's den. Now we often now we take these chapters as adults and say, well, that, that's children's stories. Bill, why don't you tell the children a, a children's story? Daniel chapter 6. And we we give these stories to children as if, you know, us adults, we're just so intelligent. We're just too above that. I'm, I'm a much deeper thinker. Well, I, I don't, I'm sorry. I hate to break the news. Some of you are not, you're not that great of a thinker. Now, let me tell you why. Daniel chapter 6. What happens? Daniel is told. Now, listen. Listen. He's told. Now, please pay attention. He can't pray. Listen. He's told by the government. You can't pray to God. Now, this has nothing to do but on what day to pray to God. He says you can't pray to God. Now, this is not when, this is how. And prayer, and I hate to break the news to you, prayer is an actual form of worship to God Almighty. Amen. Did y'all know that? Yes. 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 Now, in both cases, and by the way, if you want, I'll give you a third one, right? I'll give you a third one. In, in, in Acts chapter 4 and 5, you've got the apostles, Peter, James, and Paul, or uh, Peter, James, and John, they're out preaching, and they're healing. And the Sadducees and Pharisees get together with the local government and tell them, we will no longer allow you to preach. And and we'll add to that, you can't even mention Jesus' name. Now listen to me. This is not telling them what day to worship God on. This is telling them how they're to worship. You cannot preach. You cannot use God's name. And the government says, you can't pray. And the government says, and you're going to bow down and worship this image. Now listen on all the four, three examples I just gave you, it's nothing, it doesn't, he doesn't say on the Sabbath day or on Sunday, or on Tuesday, and no, it's just a randomly day chosen and he's telling them how to worship yes. God Almighty. Not when. Yes. Now, I want to talk about the Ten Commandments. Romans chapter 13. You ever taken the time to study that chapter? Have you ever taken the time to study Romans 13? You better, and you better know it like the back of your hand, and I'm going to tell you why I say this. Romans 13 talks about the role of government in relation to the individual, the citizen, and the church. Read it carefully. We're told by the spirit of prophecy over and over again, they're going to use that chapter against us when Sunday laws come. So you better know that chapter. And in that chapter, the Apostle Paul is arguing over the role and function of government. That is the role of government to punish evil. In other words, those who break the law. That's their function. That's the purpose. Why? It keeps everybody safe. He says, and it's also the role of government to reward those who are law-abiding citizens. Right? Now, he then goes on to talk about the jurisdiction of government. 
And what's interesting, when he lays it out, he talks about the last six commandments. He only quotes the last six. He doesn't quote the first four. And why does he quote the last six and not the first four? It's because you have to understand, when the Ten Commandments were given, they were put on two tables of stone for a reason. What do you think? God couldn't find one stone big enough to write all the Ten Commandments? He said, well, you know, just give me two. Uh, that's, we ain't got one stone big enough. I'll just use, I'll use two. There's a divine purpose. Everything God does is with a divine purpose. The first four commandments are a contractual agreement between you and God Almighty, not you and me. You hear me? Got to listen now. The last six commandments are social commandments that we make amongst ourselves as a society. When a group of people come together and say, let's form a society, they enter into a contractual agreement. Say, okay, look, we all want to live in a happy environment, right? I mean, we want to... I don't want people murdering me, molesting, right? I want to live in a safe society. So you come together as a group of people and you form a society and society needs to be regulated by laws. But the laws need to be just and fair for everybody. What's good for you is good for me. So the society comes together, they agree. The last six commandments are social commandments. Right? Honor your father and your mother. Right? Don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery, etc., etc., etc. You go down the list. They're social commandments. Now listen, the wall of separation between church and state has been so misunderstood and, and distorted, it's unbelievable. But if you understand Revelation, or excuse me, Romans 13 correctly, you'll understand where the wall of separation takes place. Never do we, sh- or, or should we, or, nor does God ever teach the concept of the separation of God from government. That's not what he teaches. He teaches the, the, that uh, the government has jurisdiction over a proper sphere. Anything beyond that sphere, it is not constitutional or is is not appropriate. You understand? They've entered into the realm of another authority. So God defines the parameters of the function of government in society. He does that by quoting the last six commandments, which means their jurisdiction is over the last six, not the first four. So the separation between, quote, church and state is, is between the fourth and the fifth commandment. So the, the separation is not between God and the state, but rather the first four commandments and the state. The state has no jurisdiction Amen. over the first four commandments. Amen. But they do have jurisdiction over the last six. I mean, if you go around killing people, I'm sorry, but that's the role of government to arrest you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, that's what it has to do. You want to keep safe? You want to save society? You got to arrest. I'm, you know, I know it's, look. I know that the, 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 the uh, prison system is completely corrupt. Look, come on, we live in a sinful world. I know the judiciary is corrupt. I get it. But I'm sorry, dear friends. You still have to have law and order. You can't let go of law and order or you will have the French Revolution. That's what you'll have. And it'll be, and I'm going to tell you, it'll be whoever's got the most powerful weapon and the most ammo. So, look, listen, I'm going to show you about the Ten Commandments. And I'm going to show you the first four commandments in relation to this COVID crisis. Now, you watch. Y'all ready? Watch. I'm going to show you right now. The first four commandments have to do with worship. Y'all with me? First first commandment, right? No no other gods before me. Second, right? Don't bow down to graven images. Number three, don't take my name in vain. Fourth is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, I want to show you something. Now, listen to me. The government... Local, federal, state, or whatever, or county, townships, however, what form of government came out, and, uh, and particularly the governorships, because it really wasn't the federal government so much as it was the state governments. But the state governments came out and said to everybody, we, you, that's it, shut your churches down. We're, we're no longer going to let you have church services. For a period of time, you couldn't have church services. Now, I want you to listen what happened. Watch what happened. They entered the realm that God never gave them permission to enter. Now listen now, here's what happened. You said, but now I have people say this to me. I've had Adventists. Well, it has nothing to do with the Sabbath. It has nothing to do with the Seventh-day Sabbath. We're supposed to comply whenever we can comply and get along. This is not the Sabbath. Don't make an issue before an issue. Don't make a crisis before a crisis. And I keep telling them, you don't understand. This is the prelude to the crisis. This is the stepping stone to get you to reject the Seventh-day Sabbath. I said, don't you understand what they're doing? They're conditioning you. If we allow the federal government to tell us 
Listen. How to worship God. Then we will allow the federal government to tell us when to worship God. The first three commandments, unlike the fourth, are different. The fourth specifically specifies a particular day. And he says, on that day, not another day, on that day you are to come and to worship together and meet me. This is what God says. Remember the Sabbath day. Six days shalt thou labor, but the seventh day, not a seventh day, the seventh day, definite article. On that day you're to come. That is telling me when to worship God. But you cannot worship God correctly on that day until you keep the first three commandments. And that's all about how you worship God. Notice, you should not have uh, have any other gods before me. That's not uh, when you worship. That's how you worship. How am I to worship God? With no other gods before him. Meaning what? God must come first in your life. Jesus taught it that way. Jesus said, except ye... uh, uh, hate your father, mother, brother, and sister, yea, your life on, so you cannot be my disciple. Yes. He made it clear. That's the first commandment. Yes. That's what Jesus was telling you. Amen. He just reiterated the first commandment. Yes. And then he, the second commandment is what? How do I worship God? Bow down to any graven image, right? Don't do it, right? No, no, no. Don't bow down and worship those graven images. So if I want to worship God in a correct way, not when, how, I, I what? I don't bow down to any other God. Amen. All right, number three. Number three, what is it? Don't take God's name in vain. It was brought up in Sabbath school class. You know, if you're going to take the name Seventh-day Adventist or the name Christian, then live it. Don't take his name in vain. So how do I worship God? Don't be a hypocrite. Listen to me. The federal government, state governments came in, and you know what they told us? Not when to worship God. We said, we're going to tell you how to worship God. You're going to shut down your churches, and here's what we're going to do. When we let 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 you worship God, when we, the state let you worship God. We're going to tell you how to do it. You're going to be six feet apart. You're only going to have ten people. And guess what? You're going to wear masks. And, and, in some cases, you can't even sing a hymn. So the federal, or the state governments came, and you know what they did? They're telling you how to worship God. And you know the sad tragedy? Is people are complying. And, uh, and I, I, I'll be, by the grace of God Almighty, I, I defy the state. I refuse to bow the knee to Caesar. I will not comply with their mandate. They don't own me. I'm not a slave. I don't pick cotton for the government. And they are not going to tell me when to worship God, let alone how to worship God. It's not going to happen by the grace of God Almighty. And dear friends, I'm telling you, that's where we are at. The constitutional guarantees that were brought forth by our founding fathers are not just undermined, they're being obliterated. And the tragedy, those who should be standing up and defending the truth in the face of opposition have fundamentally bequeathed the argument. They simply said, okay. Very few are willing to resist. And I'm going to tell you this. If you find it relatively easy to comply now, you don't really think you have the moral decency and courage to stand up when they're going to threaten you with their lives. See, now they just say, you know what, just stay in the line six feet apart, wear a mask, and and just form. Yes, sir, master. I'm coming, master. Yes, sir, master. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'll do whatever you want, master. You really think you're going to resist when the Sunday law's hitting? You're not resisting. You can't even handle this. You can't. Nobody's threatening you with your life. They say, oh, they're going to fine us. Oh, they're going to fine us. Let them fine us. I'll take them to court. I'll sue them. And that's right. And they know it. And that's what they, but they're using fear. Keep the people in a constant state of fear. Let's create boogeymen. Let's get them all scared. And if you don't think fear works, it's a very interesting book. Let me tell you something. I, I got a book on the Civil War. And I like American history, as you can well imagine. But one of the things, I read a book, there's a, a book I called The Crisis of Fear. And this uh, a, a historian did a study on the issue of fear. The whole book's about fear. And how it played on the South Carolinians just before secession. In other words, he, he, he was curious. Why did South Carolina do what they did? You know, they were, he was curious. So he went and researched. And he found out that the southern oligarchs used fear to generate Hatred in the southern population against northerners. So that when, and they knew what Lincoln was going to do, so that when Lincoln sent troops in, 
that would confirm their fears when all along it had been planned. Think about that now. They, look, <clears throat> if you go around in life and say, driving your car, I'm going to get hit, I'm going to get hit, I'm going to get hit, I'm going to get in an accident. You're going to get in an accident. And by the way, if that's your, if that's your mode, don't invite me into your car. <clears throat> Listen, self-fulfilling prophecy. If you think it, it will become. And the devil knows this. If you're living in a constant state of fear, you can't think clearly. That's why Jesus said perfect love casts out. Thank you. Then why are we afraid? We're afraid, dear friends, because we really don't know Christ as well as we thought we did. And that's one thing that this crisis has taught me. Seventh-day Adventists have been wholly unprepared. But you see the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew chapter 25? It says they all slept. Not the five foolish. All of them slept. And then a crisis came. But the five wise began to realize, we got to get... Our la- every, trimmed our lamps, the wise and foolish, they all trimmed their lamps, but the foolish began to realize, oh, oh, the oil's going out. We don't have enough to make it. And that's what I fear. Yes. I fear the next crisis. And by the way, Fauci, Gates, all of them have publicly already stated yes. uh, another COVID is coming. It's going to be worse than this one. Yes. A lot worse. Bill Gates, said, and they, they keep taking this video down, but the, he said, when the next one comes, It'll get their attention. And then he smiled with this little smirk on his face. And I knew right then and they got something planned. It's really going to be nasty. Let me tell you, dear friends, we're in a crisis. This is the time to preach the three angels' message. This is the time to get the gospel message out. It's the time to share our faith. We, as a Seventh-day Adventist church, had a golden opportunity to the world. We could have said to the world, and which we should have done, which we didn't do, but we, we, we dropped the ball, as we say. The Seventh-day Adventist church should have said to the, the state governments and the federal government at large, we're not shutting down our churches. We're not closing down. We're not going to wear masks. You're not going to tell us to six, uh, sit six feet apart. You're not going to tell us we can't sing hymns. You're not going to tell us when to worship God, where to worship God, who we can worship with, and how we're going to worship God. You have no jurisdiction over this. We're going to fight you to the tooth, and we will take you to the courts if that's what is necessary, and we will only allow God Almighty to dictate to our conscience. The government does not control you. And our church, you know what our Seventh-day Adventist leadership did? Folded their hands and said, yes, Master, we'll obey. Now, I want you to study crisis. Every time the church ever got into a crisis, the faithful have always stood bold and true. And Sister White and the Bible make it clear. Every time there's a crisis and the faithful stand true, it gives them a golden opportunity to witness of their faith. We had the perfect situation handed to us on a silver platter where we could have shared with the whole world the three angels' message. We could have taught them the truth about the seventh-day Sabbath and why we will not keep, not just any day, but why we will keep the seventh-day. And and we could have told the whole world why we will not comply with the mandates of the state. People say, but this is a, a medical crisis. This is insane. You're not logical. This is irrational. This is insane. Let me tell you this right now, dear friends. While the, the ten plagues of Egypt were falling, God's people still worshipped. Yes. And the plagues were falling. You don't hear Moses saying, oh, now we got a medical emergency here. Hold up here, everybody. Slow down. You can't. you got a time out. Got a medical emergency. Egypt said we can't worship. Moses said, we don't care about a medical emergency. Plagues. What's plagues? Listen to me. If there's ever a time to worship God, it's when a crisis comes. That's when you should get together. Come on, brother, let's get together. Let's pray, you know, and meet with God. And that's, and I don't want him six feet apart from me. Brother, you know what the Bible says? Greet one another with a holy kiss. That doesn't necessarily mean a literal kiss. It means embracing brotherly love and kindness and and friendship. I don't want to see you, oh, God bless you, sister, like like you're in a plate of glass. Oh, God bless you, see you. You think, friends, I just don't understand the logic and the rationale of some people. What are you reading in your Bibles? I gave you three examples of people who we all know are godly, righteous, and will be in the kingdom of heaven. And they all defied the state. And this has a direct correlation to us in the last days. Amen. And yet, sadly to say, some of the Adventists are caught wholly unprepared for what's coming. Amen. And I still believe it. 
And you wait, you wait. If you think this is over, they're not letting go now. Because you know what the, the state now knows? The state now knows they can get away with it. They now know it. They said, oh man, they were surprised. All the churches, the denominations, Baptist, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Congregation, Catholic, etc., etc., all of them folded up like a piece of paper. You know, the only people who didn't were independent churches. God bless a Florida pastor. He refused to close his doors. They arrested him. They arrested this man. He said, fine. He said, but we're not closing our churches. He went to court. They, 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 they found him not guilty because what, what's his crime? Because you, the government doesn't control the church. And that was his First Amendment right. And he won the case. Now, here was an independent church pastor. He said, we're and he has never shut his churches down. He, has not, he said, no, we're not shutting down. Listen to me. All I'm trying to tell you is when America speaks as a dragon, which it is now today, and you've got to realize where we're headed. America is in a crisis, the likes of which we have yet to see, and the sad tragedy of Seventh-day Adventists, most of them happily complete, are completely uh, oblivious to what's really going on. There's churches here and there like yourselves, and there's another pastor, for our, our good friend of mine, uh, they, 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 uh, they got reported. They, they, they sent in some, one of the church members turned them in. Unbelievable. I'm going to tell you, everybody, you, th- that to me is the ultimate betrayal. Yeah. They turned them into the government. The state government reported them because they weren't wearing masks. They say, well, you, oh, they, so they reported them. So, the, the, so they, they, the local government got a hold of the authorities, or they, excuse me, got a hold of the church conference, and they, they said, well, we're going to shut this church down. So the head elder, God bless him, told the congregation, okay, they own the building, but they don't own our lives and they don't own my home. Come and meet me in my house. We'll have church service. And that's what they did. And they said, that's leadership. That's leadership. That's saying, we'll take the bull by the horns. Okay, you can have the building. I don't need this building to worship God Almighty. Meet at my house. And you know what? I told some church before. I'm going to tell you this right now. The apostolic church started in people's homes, and I believe that's where it's going to finish. Because they're going to come for anything and everything you have in life. And this building, you don't own it. You're just stewards of it temporarily. You understand? That's all you are, a steward to this building. You don't own the title. They do. And when the crisis breaks, you're, those who are loyal to God, you're going to be kicked out. You've got to go somewhere. You've got to have something prepared. You better. Hey, listen. I'll worship in a basement out in the woods. I'll worship in the, in the, in the shack. I don't care. I've, hey, I've preached all over this world, Africa, Asia. I've gone all over. Believe me, I've worked, worshiped in places, but most people will never go. It's that dangerous or that filthy. But when God calls, you got to go. Listen to me. Jesus is coming, friends. Jesus is coming. question is, are we ready? Are we ready? May God help us to be ready. Listen to my next message. We're going to keep on going with this, all right? We're going to show you some things that are going down, that what's going to happen. Because I'm going to tell you this, they're not going to let up. It's not going to happen. And the sad tragedy, we've got to understand and recognize what's at stake. Because it's all about preparing you for what is to come. The devil isn't stupid. He's been studying human behavior since mankind was created 6,000 years ago. And you've got to understand that. He is a better student of human nature than you and I. And all of this has been planned. Brace yourself because it's coming. All right? Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you. Please help us, dear God, to be faithful and true. Lord, I pray you'll forgive us all. We all have fallen short of your glory in some form or fashion. But I'm thankful to know that we serve a loving Savior, a wonderful friend, a compassionate Redeemer, who's more than willingly... And, and abundantly above all that we ever ask or think to forgive us of our sins. So keep us now and grace us. Give us wisdom from above, common sense, a practical approach to these things. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you don't mind, I'm just going to forego the closing hymn too. And we'll just end it right there. Sister, you can just kind of play, your, play the congregation on out. Thank you. Go ahead, go ahead.